Tonight we're going to talk about how we can make our community better. We've been talking about community and our friend groups and, and all of that over the past few weeks. Um, and tonight I want to specifically talk about how can we make together better. Because we know that a lot of times when we're together, there's some, like some, some downfalls of being together. Because although we love to believe that every time we get with other people, it's all like butterflies and, and it's amazing and there's no drama, the reality is that's not really how it usually goes. Because when people get together, a bunch of imperfect people, and we start to kind of rub up against each other, a lot of friction comes and a lot of bad things can happen. And so we've all had friends hurt us deeply. Usually the, the, the thing that hurts us the worst is our friends and our family. Because like you're walking through like St. John's Town Center, walking down the beach or something, and someone just comes up to you that you don't know. And they're like, man, like you look terrible and you suck. Like you'd be like, well, that, that hurts a little bit. And like later you might kind of be like, oh, that, that, was, that was weird today. But mostly later you're probably just going to, it's going to become like this joke. And like you, you'd probably say, hey, remember when that random guy walked up to me and just told me how like much I sucked? Like that, that was kind of weird. But, but it won't really like hurt you. But, but, but the reality is when, when our family or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, or a friend says something to us that hurts, it, a lot of times like that can be the worst Thing. And so the reality is a lot of times we, uh, we fall short when we're in community. We fall short when we are together and we've been hurt by friends and we felt betrayal and we've, we've been um, cut down and we, we've had people talk about us and gossip about us and say mean things either behind our back or to our face. And, and no matter who you are, whether you're rich or poor, good looking or not good looking, whether you're the most popular kid or, or, or not, like no matter who you are, we have all felt lonely. We've all felt left out at some point. We've all been just like alienated and hurt by other people. And so the reality is a lot of times community and friend groups and life groups and, and any kind of group of people, it just falls short. And so tonight I want to talk about how can we improve our communities, where we already are, um, good or bad, like how can we make them better? How can we be the kind of person that people want to be friends with. To put it simply, we're going to talk tonight about how we can be good friends, how we can be the kind of people that people want to be around. Because the reality is everyone wanted to be around Jesus. Like no matter what you believe, like if you read the gospels, like everybody wanted to hang out with Jesus. Every single time he went somewhere, the Bible says a crowd followed him. He'd be going into town and a crowd would be following him. He'd be in the temple and a crowd would be around him. He'd go to his friend's house and they would pack so tightly inside the house that people would like be looking in the windows. Like everybody was obsessed with Jesus. And it didn't matter who you were or, or what kind of friend group you were from, like people were attracted to Jesus. Andy Stanley, a pastor uh, in Atlanta, says that people that were not like Jesus liked Jesus. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus. And, and here's why. Jesus always made others feel like they were the most important people in the world. Jesus always made others feel like they were the most important person in the world. There was this guy named Zacchaeus, and he's up in a tree, and nobody likes him, and he's looking for Jesus. And, and Jesus walks straight over to him, yells out in front of the whole crowd, Zacchaeus, I want to be your friend. I want to hang out with you. And in that moment, Zacchaeus felt like the most important person in the world. In front of everybody else, he was made to feel like he mattered. And then this woman gets, gets caught in the act of adultery, which means she was caught having sex with some guy. And they bring her naked out in front of the whole town. And they all pick up rocks and they say, okay, we're going to kill this woman by throwing rocks at her. That was the way they punished that uh, act at that time. 
and they throw this lady down, and they say, Jesus, what should we do? And Jesus defends her in front of everybody. And one by one, they all walk away, and then it's just him and her. And she's like, well, what's going to happen to me? And he's like, I'm not going to condemn you. I don't judge you. Just go and live a different life. Go and live a life with no sin. See, he always made the people who he was around feel like they were the most important people in the world. And that's ultimately what our goal is, is that we go to the places around us and we make people feel important. We make people feel valuable. That's what it means to be a good friend. That's how we make community better. And we're going to look at a friendship in scripture today, one of the most famous friendships in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's between two young guys. One's name was Jonathan, and one, one guy's name was David. And David, um, David, you've probably heard of. David is the David from David and Goliath. He's the guy who, who, who threw the rock and, and killed the giant and um, became this famous warrior and ended up becoming the king. But at this point, he had killed the giant, but he was still just, just some young teenager guy. And Jonathan was the son of King Saul. So Jonathan was like the prince of Israel. He was, he was next in line to become king. He was next in line to become king. And, uh, and so they, they, they begin this friendship. And we're going to start in chapter 18, starting in verse 1. And the words will be on the screen. And uh, we're just going to look at some things that Jonathan did to be a good friend to David. Some things that we can do as well to, to, to improve community. Um, and so maybe, maybe one or two or three or all of these will really hit your heart. But, but we don't expect every single thing to, to, to reach out to you. But maybe there's one thing that God has for you tonight. So starting in verse uh, 1 of chapter 18, it says this. By the time David had finished reporting to Saul, Jonathan was deeply impressed with David. An immediate bond was forged between them. He became totally committed to David. Totally committed to David. Everybody say totally committed. He became totally committed to David. From that point on, he would be David's number one advocate and friend. Saul received David into his own household that day, no more to return to the home of his father. So it's like he got adopted, basically. Jonathan, out of his deep love for David, made a covenant with him. This was like a a binding commitment. This is a big deal. He made a covenant with him, and he formalized it, or he showed it, with solemn gifts. His own royal robe and weapons, armor, sword, bow, and belt. A lot of times uh, with guys and, and girls, like, I guess maybe you don't know this because you're not guys, but uh, guys, we know it. If you have a brother or like a best friend or something like that, guys are very competitive. We're very territorial. Like with my best friend growing up, it was like, like it was always a competition. Who was better at basketball? Who was better at video games? Who, uh, who, who, who had more girls like them? Like everything was a competition. Everything. And guys, you know this is kind of how we act. And yet we don't see that from Jonathan. Jonathan was supposed to be the next king. And here comes this guy that's becoming famous. And he's actually been uh, prophesied or predicted that he was going to be king. And instead of getting jealous, instead of getting angry, instead of getting territorial, instead of wanting revenge, Jonathan does none of those things. Here's what he does. He gives David acceptance. He accepts him into his family. And he goes so far as to give the things that made him the prince, his royal robe, his sword, his bow, his weapons, and he gives them to David. Like this is, this is like, this didn't happen in these times. In these times, like if a, if a rival came to you and you were royalty, you would just have them killed. And yet he accepts him. And that's the first thing. We need to show acceptance. We need to show acceptance to people. 
And showing acceptance doesn't mean you agree with everything they, uh, they believe. It doesn't mean you believe the same things. It doesn't mean you have the same opinions. It doesn't mean you get along all the time. It doesn't even mean you're best friends. It just means that you show value to someone else. That's it. It's just showing value to someone else. Susan Taylor has this quote that says this, acceptance is what we wish for ourselves and often deny others. Isn't this true? Like, like we all want to be accepted. And yet, yet, so often we deny it from other people. We say, oh, I'm not going to accept them. We reject people. I, I think we do it because we can't control if people accept us and that hurts us. And so we say, well, I can control if I accept someone else. And it's like we take it out on other people. And so we all want to be accepted. And then all we're doing is rejecting each other. And it hurts us. And then it just causes this bad cycle. And Jonathan said, no, I'm going to be the kind of person that accepts, accepts people. So that's the first thing that that can make community, can make friend groups better. So we're willing to accept people, accept the new person at school, accept the new person in your life group, accept the person that maybe you broke up with and you say, oh, I'm never going to talk to them again. Accept them. That doesn't mean you go back out with them, but maybe you accept them. Accept the friend who betrayed you. Accept the person who maybe you got in a fight with three years ago. Don't, doesn't mean you have to be best friends, but it means you accept them. You show value to them. So we're going to move on uh, uh, throughout the story. Here's, here's kind of what happens. Um, David's going to become this big deal. He's going to keep having all these military victories. And Jonathan's cool with it, right? But King Saul gets angry. King Saul gets really angry. And it says he goes so far as to hate David. And he didn't hate him like, man, I hate you. Like, like, like we say that all the, all the time to like our friends or whatever. Like, man, I hate you. But like he actually hated. Like hated so much that he wanted to kill him. So we're going to go forward to chapter 19, verse one, here's what it says. Saul called his son Jonathan together with his servants, and he ordered them to kill David. So he puts out a hit. He's like, all right, I want you guys to go assassinate David. But because Jonathan treasured David, he valued David, he went and he warned him. My father's looking for a way to kill you. Here's what you are to do. Tomorrow morning, hide and stay hidden. I'll go out with my father into the field where you are hiding and talk about you with my father. And we'll see what he says. Then I'll report back to you. So so here's something very important. He's been ordered to kill David. David hides. He knows where David is. He could have gone to the king and said, hey, hey, dad, listen, I know where your enemy is. You can go kill him. And yet he doesn't. He, he, He allows that secret to stay within himself. He keeps it confidential. That's the second thing is confidentiality. We should be people that think, keep things confidential, that don't gossip, that don't share other people's secrets. And a lot of times we want to, I, I think it's just because like we want to feel like powerful. Like, you know, when you get like a secret and it's juicy and you're like, ah, like I gotta tell somebody like you, you like can't control it. And that urge isn't just like a teenage girl thing. It's like a human thing. Like we all want to do it. We're all like, oh my gosh, like I, I want to tell somebody and we've got to let that urge go. We've got to hold things in confidence or else people can't trust us. We don't create good community when people can't trust, when we're breaking trust. And so we need to hold things in confidentiality. Even though he could have gotten the value and the acceptance of the king, he said, no, I'm, I'm going I'm to protect my friend. That's what confidentiality is. It's protecting your friends. It's protecting the people around you. It's protecting what people say in your life group and say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to share that with anyone else. That's confidentiality. But, it, but confidentiality, it goes a little bit past just not gossiping. Because I, I want you to look at, at what happens next. Jonathan brought up David with his father 
It says, speaking well of him. He spoke well of him. Please, don't attack David. He has it wrong. Do you, has he? And just look at the good he has done. He put his life on the line when he killed the Philistine. That is Goliath, the giant. What a great victory God gave Israel that day. You were there. You saw it and were on your feet applauding with everyone else. So why would you even think of sinning against an innocent person, killing David for no reason whatever? So here's what he does. He, he defends him. He defends him. How do we speak of people when we're not around them? How do we speak about people when they're not there? Or how do we speak to people to their face? Because I know I've said a lot of things. And I know if you're anything like me, you, you probably said a lot of things that you regret. Either to people's face or about people. And sometimes it's about our friends and our family. And, and we really let them down in that moment. And, and Jonathan was the kind of friend who said, I'm going to defend my friend. And even though he knew his dad was going to get angry and his dad was the most powerful man in the country, he still said, listen, man, he didn't do anything to you. What's your problem? And he defended David. He defended David. And, and here's why this is so important, because negative things stick out in our minds. Like uh, studies say that we need like five and a half or six compliments to like weigh out or, ba- or balance out one cut down or one thing that is negative about us. And it's true. Like you can remember what people said to you years ago. I can still remember being in third grade. I was standing outside my classroom and this boy in my class, his name was AJ. You know, like any guy with like a initials name is sketchy. He was, but he was also cool. Like he was the coolest guy. Like, oh, my name's AJ. And I was like, man, my initials suck. They're RS. Like, like they don't even sound cool, but he's AJ. Like he was, so he was the cool kid. He had like a bowl cut, blonde hair, whatever. And uh, I'm not holding any grudges 23 years later. So he's like, he just, he like said, I don't even know what he said, but he said, I remember how he made me feel. He made me feel like I was a joke and like he was better than me. And I still remember that all these years later because they stick with us. Things like that stick with us because it hurts. And we've got to watch how we talk about people if we want to make community better. And so what's going to happen is Saul's going to be like, all right, all right, Jonathan, it's cool. We'll let him come back to the house. So he comes back and then he gets mad at him again and he hates him again. And one day he throws a spear at David trying to kill him and David like, jumps out of the way and runs away. And he goes and he hides in another town. And Jonathan, I'm sorry, Saul chases him all over the place. It's like this massive manhunt, but he cannot find him. Now we're gonna skip forward to chapter 20. David got out of Naoth in Ramah alive and he went to Jonathan. And he said, what do I do now? What wrong have I inflicted on your father that makes him so determined to kill me? Jonathan said, nothing. You've done nothing wrong, and you're not going to die. Really, you're not. My father tells me everything. He does nothing, whether big or little, without confiding in me. So why would he do this behind my back? It can't be. But David said, your father knows that we are the best of friends. And so he says to himself, Jonathan must know nothing of this. If he does, he'll side with David. But it's true. As sure as God lives and as sure as you're alive before me right now, he's determined to kill me. And Jonathan said, tell me what you have in mind. I'll do anything for you. David said, tomorrow marks the new moon, which was the first day of the month. And they'd have this big festival, this big party about it, the first day of every month. He says, I'm scheduled to eat dinner with the king. Instead, I'm going to go hide in the field until the evening of the third. And if your father misses me, say, David asked if he could go down to Bethlehem, his hometown, for an anniversary reunion and worship with his family. He went to a family reunion. And if he says, good, I'm safe. Everything's cool. But if he gets angry, you know for sure that he's made up his mind to kill me. Stick with me in this. You've entered into a covenant of God with me. Remember, if I'm in the wrong, you can go ahead and kill me now. Why bother giving me up to your father? And Jonathan says, never, never. I'd never do that. 
if I get the slightest hint that my father is fixated on killing you, I'll tell you. See, Jonathan was real. And that's the third thing we can grab today is that we need to be real. And you may recognize some of these. We talked about our values a few weeks ago at Beach Students, and some of these are from there. And this is also on our covenants that we keep as life groups together every week and that we sign at the beginning of the year because these are very important. These are things we believe that make us more like Jesus in our communities and are so important to us having strong community with each other. Jonathan was real. Like imagine telling your friend, not just that, my dad hates you, but my dad wants to murder you. Like, imagine having to tell you, and he doesn't beat around the bush, and he's not like, well, you know, you, know, you did make him mad that one time, but it's not that big. Like, he just says it like, man, if my dad's going to kill you, I'm going to tell you. He's not defending his dad. He's not trying to, trying to, like, make it sound good. Like, he is just completely real. And the reality is a lot of times we're not real. We're not who God made us to be. We don't act the way God made us to act. We are scared to be ourselves. We're not honest. We're not honest with the problems in our life. We're not honest with the, with the good and the bad in our life. We're just very fake a lot of times. And I know that we don't like fake because we're always like, man, they're so fake. Like, 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 I hate fake people, blah, blah, blah. And like, but then we go and do it, and we put a mask on, and we try to act like someone we are not. And we've got to be honest. We've got to be real with each other because if we're in community, then we have to be ourselves. If we're not, we're just strangers, We're not actually in community, and community suffers when we are not real. Community suffers when we are not real. And so he's real with David, and David says, well, well, how are you going to tell me if your father comes back with a harsh answer? And Jonathan says, come outside. Let's go to the field. When the two of them were out in the field, Jonathan said, as God, the God of Israel, is my witness, by this time tomorrow, I'll get it out of my father how he feels about you. Then I'll let you know what I learned. May God do his worst to me. If I let you down, if my father still intends to kill you, I will tell you and get you out of here in one piece. And God will be with you as he's been with my father. If I make this through the, if I make it through this alive, continue to be my friend. And if I die, keep the friendship with my family forever. And when God finally rids the earth of David's enemies, stay loyal to Jonathan. Stay loyal to me, Jonathan says. And then Jonathan repeated his pledge of love and friendship for David. The pledge we talked about at the beginning in chapter 18. He repeated this pledge, and he loved David more than his own soul. He loved David more than himself. This is, this is very important. He, he makes this commitment again. He is committed to David. And so the fourth thing about improving community and being a good friend is to be consistent. He was consistent in David's life. He was always there for him. When things were good, he was there for him. When things were bad, he was there for them. He would, he would visit him out in the middle of the wilderness to go find him and be there for him. And he made this oath to him, which meant he was loyal to him. He was committed to him. He was going to consistently be there. And a lot of times in our relationships, we're not consistent. We're not loyal. We're not committed. It's just like, yeah, you know, I'm friends with them, but like, then we, we won't be there for them when they need it. Or we're there when everything is good, but then when things are bad, we're like, ah, you know, I'm just going to go hang out with somebody else. And we're not actually committed to people. And this, this doesn't mean you have to be committed to every person because we can't. But the people that are in our life group, the people that are in our family, the people that, are, that we call friends, we should be committed to. We should be consistent with. We should be loyal to. He was always loyal to him. So many times we stab each other in the back and we, we're mean to each other and we treat each other poorly because we're just inconsistent. And even like within a life group, you say, man, I want to be involved in community and all this stuff, and then you never show up. That's not commitment. That's not consistency. 
And that doesn't mean, I know people have schedules, people can't be at every single thing, but we should make things a priority. And if we wanna have community, we've gotta make those people a priority in our life. We gotta be consistent in their lives because we desire consistency in others, don't we? Like if you're a sports fan and you're watching a basketball game and your team's down by one and, and, and a player gets fouled and he's going to the free throw line to, to tie or win the game, you want the most consistent shooter on the line. Or if you're a baseball player or a, te- a fan of a baseball team, we value the people who consistently get on base. They are the people that paid millions of dollars. The people that don't are the people that do not have a job. Like that's how sports work. And we value consistency in others. And so we gotta value consistency in ourselves. We gotta be consistent in the lives of the people that we say we care about. And so what's gonna happen is they come up with this plan and they say, uh, you know, again, when, when, when Saul asks about me, tell him that I'm at a family reunion. And so he, he goes to the dinner and David's not there and Saul's like, where's David? And Jonathan's like, oh, well, he went to this family reunion and I told him it was okay. And Saul loses his mind. He gets so angry, he like cusses out Jonathan and eventually, actually right after that, he throws a spear, not at David, but at Jonathan, at his own son. That's how much he hated David, that he threw a spear trying to kill his own son because he knew his son was friends with David. Jonathan is, is of course, angry and scared and everything and he just runs out. And the next morning, he, he, he goes out into this field, and, and David's out there hiding, and he, he has like kind of this little code language with him, and essentially, he tells him, you need to get out of here. My dad is going to kill you. He is crazy. He's psychopath. Nobody can talk to him. Like, it, it's, it's over. You got to get out of here. And so David runs away into the desert. And we're going to skip forward a couple chapters. He's, he's in the desert. He's doing all this different stuff, and, and uh, we're going to go to 23, verse 18. Chapter 23, I'm sorry, starting in verse 14. David continued to live in the desert hideouts and the backcountry wilderness hills of Ziph. Saul was out looking for him day after day, but God never turned David over to him. David kept out of the way in the wilderness of Ziph, secluded at Haresh, since it was plain that Saul was determined to hunt him down. Jonathan, Saul's son, visited David, and he encouraged him in God. Everybody say, in God. He encouraged him in God. And he said, don't despair. My father Saul can't lay a hand on you. You'll be Israel's king and I'll be right at your side to help. Again, listen to this. This never happened. If a guy was supposed to be king and someone else was trying to be king, he would kill him. And he says, not only are you gonna be king, but I'm gonna be your assistant. I'm gonna be your secretary. I'm gonna do what you need me to do. This would never, ever, ever happen. He was raised being told you're royalty and no one else is you're more important than other people because you're the son of the king. And yet he says, man, David, it's gonna be you and I'm gonna be there to help you. And then the two of them make a covenant before God. Again, they make another covenant before God and David stayed at Haresh and Jonathan went home. This, this section isn't necessarily talking about prayer, but we do see that they involve God in their relationship. He encourages him in God, and then they make a covenant with each other before God. And so bringing God into our friendships looks like this, very simply. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for each other. If we believe prayer works, if we believe that prayer actually convinces God to do things on behalf of us and other people, why would we not pray? Why would we not pray for the people we love? for our families, for our friends, for our boyfriends and girlfriends, for the people in our classes, for our coworkers. Why would we not pray for them? Why would we not pray for them in their relationships or their emotions 
or, or their schoolwork, or, or the, what they're going through, or, or their um, boyfriends or girlfriends, or especially their faith and whether or not they know Jesus. Why would we not pray for them? See, a lot of times, we're vi- I'm really bad about this. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll do it sometimes, but most of the time, I don't think about praying for people that are close to me. Why don't we do that? Because it's so clear in Scripture that if we pray, God answers. And he doesn't always do what we want, but, but why would we not pray for the people that we love? This is part of being in good community. And this is what Jonathan does alongside David. And then the last thing, it's not in their story, but it is in Scripture. It's in the book of Hebrews is accountability, accountability. Accountability is a word that either you don't know or you don't like. Those are really your, basically your two options. Accountability means that you hold someone accountable. It's basically telling someone where they're wrong. And, and this gets a little bit iffy because we, we shouldn't hold everybody accountable, right? We should hold people that we are close to accountable, but not like some random guy on the street. And this is where like sometimes the church gets it wrong because they're like, oh, we're going to hold some random person that doesn't even believe in Jesus accountable. That doesn't make sense because they don't believe what you believe. But certainly people in your life group, people that are uh, friends of yours that are following after Jesus, we should hold them accountable. Here's why. The Bible says that we should spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Here, here's what a spur is. I know we don't live in Texas, but you, you, you've probably heard of the San Antonio Spurs or something like that. A spur is on the back of a boot. It is sharp, and it kicks a horse and tells it where to go. And guess what? A spur doesn't feel good, and that's why the horse goes. Here's what it means for us. It doesn't feel good to be held accountable. It doesn't feel good to be told, hey, man, you shouldn't do that. Hey, you know that you, you said something that was wrong. Hey, you know that you, you're going a direction you shouldn't go. We don't like that. Here's what we do. Here's what I do. We get defensive. No, 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 don't, don't, crit, don't criticize me. Here, let, let, me tell you, let me tell you what happened. And we start rationalizing it. We, we say all these different things. But the reality is accountability makes us better. Because if someone really cares about you, they're going to tell you the truth, even though it might hurt a little bit, because they care about you. My, my student pastor growing up said this, we should care more about the friend than the friendship. You should care more about the person than whether or not they like you for a couple of weeks. Because sometimes when you hold someone accountable, they get angry. But, but, if you really love them, you'll do it anyway. Here's why. If someone was walking off a cliff, they're looking at their, they got earbuds in, they're looking at their phone, and they're walking towards the edge of the cliff, the Grand Canyon or something, and they're about to die. You might yell at, hey, 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 what do you, and then you realize they can't hear you. Eventually, you're going to go run and like, throw them away from the cliff or like put them in a headlock and pull them away or punch them in the face, drag them unconscious away and they'll wake up and they'll be like, why'd you do that? They'll be angry. It hurt. But guess what you did? You saved them from doing something that was going to kill them. And here is what's a lot worse than accountability, regret. You don't want the people you love to live in regret. You don't want the people you love to figure it out when it's too late. Because we all have blind spots. We all have these areas where we're like, I don't know that I'm doing something wrong. And I have to have someone else tell me. And man, it hurts. It doesn't feel good, but it makes you better. It helps you grow. It keeps you safe. So we should accept people. We should hold things in confidence and not talk poorly about people, but speak well of people. We should be real and honest. We should be consistent and committed. We should pray for each other, and we should hold our Christian brothers and sisters and our close friends accountable. So what if we did this? Shouldn't the church, Christians, people that follow after Jesus, shouldn't we we have a community that is desirable, that people want to be a part of? 
Shouldn't we be the kind of people that, that, that people are like, man, I'm not sure about what you believe, but I know the way you treat me, and it's great. Shouldn't your friends say, man, my, it's not my closest friend, maybe, but, but the person that is the kindest to me, they follow Jesus. The person that loves me the most, that treats me the best, they follow after Jesus. What if we were the kind of community that people wanted to be a part of? What if we were the kind of community that people could not live without? That goes into the dark places of the world and shows light. Well, man, we're not meant to change people. We're not meant to fix all the problems of the world. We can't save people. But we can be the kind of friends that show our friends Jesus. And that show our friends the love of God. Here's the last point. Be the kind of friend to others that Jesus has been to us. Be the kind of friend to others that Jesus has been to us. Here's the kind of friend that Jesus was. Jesus was the kind of friend that said, my friends are suffering, so I'm going to go to them. Jesus was the kind of friend that accepted all people and accepts all people. He's the kind of friend that's honest with us. He's the kind of friend that's fully committed to us. He's the kind of friend that prays for us. He's the kind of friend that holds us accountable and speaks the truth to us. He's the kind of friend that's there for us at all times when things are good and when things are bad. He's the kind of friend that would stop being God and become a little baby. In first century Israel, with no plumbing and no air conditioning, with violence all around him, in a poor family, with no, uh, no physical goods, not much wealth, and he would come to this earth. Why? For us. And before he was uh, about to die, he, he says uh, this thing. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Here's the translation. The best kind of friends are those who give up their life for their friends. Those that sacrifice for their friends. And yes, he gave up the throne. And yes, he gave up his, 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 his life in, in heaven to become a human. But then he did what he said. Because that's the kind of God he is. He went to the cross. And he literally gave up his life for his friends. He gave up his life for people who would believe in him. He gave up his life for people who would not believe in him. He gave up his life for Muslims. He gave up his life for Jewish people. He gave up his life for all races. He gave up his life for Buddhists. He gave up his life for atheists. He gave up his life for every single human being that would ever live and walk this earth. Why? Because he was the perfect friend. I mean, and so if we're Christians, we need to be a friend like Jesus was. We need to be the kind of friends that make other people feel important, that value other people. And this is hard. This is not like, this is secondary to our nature. Like, for, like we always want to watch out for us. But he watched out for others. Maybe you're in this room and you're not a Christian. And maybe you've seen God as a judge and you've seen God as, a, as, as someone who has a contract and you have to do your end of the bargain for him to love you. Maybe you've seen God as someone who wants to stop you from doing what you want to do. Maybe you've seen God as somebody that you don't want to be friends with. But Jesus showed us what the nature of God was. He said, I'll lay down my life for my friends. I'm the good shepherd. Sin, the devil, the world, they want to destroy your life, but I have come to give you life. 
That's what Jesus said. And he gave us life by giving his life. So if you're in this room and you've never, you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never become a, a friend of Jesus, become a part of a relationship with Jesus, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you've read some scripture. Maybe you've come to church a few times. Maybe you've been to church for years and years, but you've never actually decided for yourself, I wanna give my life over to Christ. I wanna give you the opportunity to do that tonight. And it's not because we're in this room or because Rim's playing the piano or because we got lights or because, uh, because I'm preaching. It is because you in your heart, you in your heart, believe that Jesus is the son of God and you want to follow after him. The Bible says if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth, then we will be saved. So if that's you, that's you, I want to give you the opportunity. I'm going to count to three and I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. And uh, we want you to raise your hand because I want you to remember the moment you put up your hand and you said yes to Jesus on September 23rd, 2018 in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. I want you to remember this moment. So everybody can bow your heads, close your eyes. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and pray this prayer with me. If you want to be in a relationship with Jesus, if you want to have your life changed by Jesus, if you want to enter into a friendship that will never let you down, that will never leave you behind, if that's you, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, God loves you too. He's the best friend you could ever have. Three, raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand if that's you. Keep it high. Keep it high. I want you to pray this prayer with me. You could say it out loud. You could say it quietly. Just say, Jesus, I'm yours. I know I've messed up, but I believe you are God. I believe that you died for me and you rose again. I believe you love me. So I ask for forgiveness. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Save me. I want to follow after you. In your name we pray.